Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge, and I'm Crazy Bobby. And I'm Rough Enough, and as you heard, we have a very special guest joining us today, all the way from the UK. Rob, thanks for joining us uh, to chat about the new book. My pleasure. I, c- I couldn't keep the voice up for the whole thing, I don't think, if I'm honest. No, absolutely not. But I'm sure the fans out there will be very appreciative <laughs> of your effort. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Let's start with this. What are you doing since you grew up and you've got a real job now? Oh, that's, well, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, since leaving Mantic, I now work for um, the University of Nottingham. So, obviously, in Nottingham, basically working for a department that helps kind of kind of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds get scholarships to come to university. So those kids who might not be able to afford it because of, you know, their background or something like that. Uh, I work for a department that helps kind of raise funds for those and uh, helps them get to university. So yeah, it's quite a very, very different kind of thing to what I was doing before, but um, quite inspirational and I'm, and I'm really enjoying it actually, particularly meeting some of the students. I mean, I look back to when I was a student and I was 19. Jeez, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But these kids seem to have their heads screwed on quite a bit. And, you know, they know what they want to do. And so that's really inspirational, actually. So, I've, um, yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's good. Good change. Yeah, you got some socially redeeming quality to your job is always a positive thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that is nice. It's, you know, it's nice to come home and particularly when you meet these kids, the, these kids and you hear about them and some of the some of the stories, you know, a lot of them single parents because maybe a parent died or or something. And then you know, they wouldn't have been able to afford to go to university, but because of kind of what the department does and we can help them out and get them to come to university. So yeah, a bit different from, you know, writing about goblins and orcs all day. Definitely would scratch a different itch, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, very much so. Refresh our memory. How long have you been gone from Mantic? Has it been 18 months? No, no, not that long. It's, um, it, I left in August last year. So not even a year. No, no, it seems that long. Uh, but yeah, I sort of, I must admit, I, I, I kind of went, after leaving in August, I went kind of off the scene entirely to some extent. You know, I just thought I would take a break. I think I mentioned this to whether on whether or not I appeared on Steve Hildrew's video. Just um yeah, I sort of realised that the you know, when the hobby is is work, it's quite difficult sometimes. And as much as I love the games and I love painting and all things like that, I guessed I realised that in the evenings, you know, I was sitting there painting and I re- I love painting, but then I was like, oh I'm I'm just painting, I'm painting for like the, the next blog or something like that. So I wasn't really just sitting and painting whatever I wanted just to have a bit of fun. So I I didn't paint anything or do anything for about four months, played a lot of board games. But um, yeah, now sort of easing myself back in and getting ready for some tournaments and, and, and enjoying it again, actually, really enjoying it. No greater way to destroy your hobby than making it your job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've done it a few times. It's my own fault. I keep shooting myself in the foot, but um you know, because I used to work for like a video game magazine, so that ruined video games for me. Then I got into like collecting old toys. I wrote for a magazine about that, destroyed that for me. You know, I had to sell all my old Transformers. And then I decided I'd ruined it with tabletop games as well. So there we go. So I, so that's why I thought I'd get something where the, the day job is, is literally that, nine to five. And then I can come home in the evening and, and do something a bit more creative with my spare time. Now that we know you're an expert, what's your favorite G1 Transformer? 
Oh, a hundred percent Soundwave. Soundwave's pretty bad. I, I I like the cassettes that come out of his chest. Uh, yeah, you got Laserbeak and yeah, Rumble, Rabbit, Rumble, Rumble. Yeah, with the um, <laughs> Rat Bat, all those. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think. Um, yeah, I I was. Uh, well, we we may come to this actually a bit later on when we talk about the books. But yeah, I was. Uh, I really love Transformers, particularly obsessed with the Decepticons. What does that say about you as a person when you went right to your favorite as a Decepticon rather than an Autobot? Well, I think yeah. All my I, I only collected Decepticons. I loved them. Okay. I thought they were so good. Um, and uh, well, I may as well say this now. But yeah, my my dad took me to took me to the cinema to see uh, Transformers the animated movie, the, the the best film of all time, with the best. Well, definitely soundtrack. the most controversial, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, scared um, a few kids as yeah. Optimus Prime was killed off among well, many of his counterparts. My. Um, so my dad said that when Optimus Prime di- died, I stood up in the cinema and clapped because I was so pleased because the Decepticons just never won. Do you know what I mean? They, they uh, you're right. But I, I just think they're the most interesting characters. They had the coolest Transformers. You know, they weren't just transforming into a VW Beetle. Come on. He's a cassette and cassettes fly out of his chest, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and but yeah, I was collecting like um, oh, the Masterpiece Transformers for quite a while as well. I had a big collection of them. Um, yeah, but then unfortunately I had to, I had to get rid of them when the kids needed my spare room selfishly. If you're into transformers, there, there's actually a podcast called the retroist. Okay. Who's got 300 episodes, but recently he's done like four or five episodes on transformers, including like the differences between the U S and the UK transformer, Marvel comics, the movie, the toys. Oh, it's so interesting. All that, the whole interest, the whole story, because I, I did a big thing. Cause like I said, so we're off on a huge tangent here, but yeah, cause, um, because I was writing on the magazine, which is about collecting old toys, I used to write a lot of articles about Transformers and how, you know, they were the Diaclone ones from Japan, and then they got Mar- they got Marvel to write the story. It's actually a really interesting kind of tale about how that all came to be. Yeah, love Transformers, absolutely love them. Growing up, I was like, a little older, so I'm more of a GI Joe guy. But yeah, Transformers were right there next to it, and then they had the Marvel crossover with GI Joe and Transformers. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I was I was always saying to Ronnie when I was at Mantic, like. Oh my god! I'd kill for like a Transformers skirmish game, where you could, you know, it was particularly when Walking Dead had just come out, and I said, Ronnie, you know, the booster packs, you know, are the car and the Transformer, and the, you know, at each one, I said it's such a good game, and I guess um, you've got Bot War, which I've I've never played, but yeah, from Australia, yeah, yeah, which is kind of a GI Joe slash Transformers yeah. amalgamation, yeah. which yeah. works. Yeah, something different though. When you had an official, if you have an officially licensed version, oh, it would have been so good. Where you can have Shockwave, where you can have my, my favorite Jazz or Jetfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it would be it would be amazing. The miniature scale would be quite interesting for that one. <laughs> when you've got you know a little cassette, when you've got Soundwave and things. But yeah, I would have loved that. That would have been my. I think that would have been one of my dream licenses to do if we were if I was at Mantic still. Never say never. You never know what the future I, holds. Right. It's been a while since we've had you on. Let's uh, refresh people's memory about your gamer origin story. What games did you cut your teeth on as a young lad? Yeah. So I guess, look, I mean, my story is very, very similar to, you know, what other people's were, particularly in the UK, is that one Christmas waiting under my tree from Santa, from the hobby Santa, was a, was a copy of Hero Quest. And it's really, really weird, actually. I think I'd just seen it in, we had a, something called the Argos catalog over here, which I don't know what would be the equivalent over there in the US, maybe do you have like a Sears catalog? Yeah, like a Sears or a JCPenney catalog, yeah. big department store, 500 yeah, pages, right. and you'd go yeah. through and you'd circle the things for your parents for Christmas. Yeah. yeah. So I'd circled Hero Quest. Don't know why, really. I think it's, 
Possibly because I really liked the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. I thought that was really cool, and I sort of liked the fantasy element to that, and I liked fantasy books. So yeah, I got a hero quest, uh, and then it turned out there was a little there was a little shop in town, a little hobby shop in in Grimsby where I grew up, and I went in there. Never been in there before, but it was just I, I was just amazed by the amount of, of different models in there, particularly uh, snotlings and goblins. I went in there, my eye was immediately, you know, I forgot all the serious, you know, space marines and all that kind of stuff, and I went straight to the stupid kind of little quirky goblins. Um, and that's how it started, really. I just kind of thought they were brilliant. Um, didn't really know anything about the game at that point. I just really liked the models and really wanted to paint them. Um, and I think, actually, the, the whole love of goblins, I think, comes from, I was really obsessed with the Gremlins film growing up as well, again, more evil little characters. But I think, yeah, I think I I sort of saw a lot of the similarities between like gremlins and goblins, and particularly when I, you know, you learn about the story. And then, yeah, and that was it. So I played a lot of Warhammer Fantasy, never played Warhammer 40k, never really appealed. I like the models, but that was it, really. I think there weren't enough crazy goblins in it for me. Advanced Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Have you seen the movie yet? I haven't. No, no, I haven't. Okay, then I'm not going to spoil anything. I know there's a little nod, I think. My 13-year-old is nuts for the cartoon. In fact, if you haven't seen Hasbro, they made a whole line of toys of them. Hank and Presto, the whole nine yards, they've got them all. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I guess, um, certainly for me, like Dungeons & Dragons wasn't a thing. Do you know, we didn't play it. I didn't. I only knew it as a cartoon. I didn't me too. even know it was a game, particularly. That was a surprise, you know, when I grew up. And I was like, oh, right, okay, it's this, it's this weird game where you roll dice. Yeah, so... Played Warhammer Fantasy for years. Again, like most people, fell out of the hobby. Didn't really do much at all. Kind of stayed, stayed sort of on the periphery, I guess, with like the Blood Bowl game, some of the games as well, the Go Trek and Felix books. And then it was obviously a few years later when I kind of stumbled on kind of Mantic almost completely by accident. I was writing that magazine about collecting old toys. Went to Hornby, which was a big um, train, like model railway manufacturer over here in the uk and then weirdly there was a box of um mantic elves in there with some hum um humber oil paints that was kind of bundled in and i was like oh what's this you know so that, then they were saying so oh yeah it's this these new models we're going to get we're going to release it with these paints and uh and I, that's the first time i'd heard of mantic it turned out they're in nottingham which is where i was living and and kind of found out a bit more about them i think it was just when dreadball the kickstarter was on and i really like look at dreadball so kickstarted that without really knowing a lot what it was. And then basically just from there, got into kind of a local games club called War and Peace. Played a lot there and absolutely loved it. Kind of got back straight into Kings of War, straight into some goblins. I love the fact that goblins were their own army instead of being like subjected, uh, you know, to the cruel rule of the um, of the orcs. The orcs and goblins army from Warhammer Day. Yeah, yeah. So I loved the fact that they, they were their own thing. And then, yeah, and then that was sort of me back into the hobby in a really big way, you know, I, Saying to my wife, saying to my wife at the time, I said, "Oh, don't worry, I'll only need a little bit of a, I'll only need one shelf under the stairs." <laughs> That's how it starts? Yeah, two shelves under the stairs, and then it was some space in a cupboard upstairs, and then it was an entire room, and then, uh, and then obviously, eventually, it ended up becoming my job. First of all, when I was doing the the tabletop gaming magazine that I launched uh, when at the magazine publisher, because I sort of realised then the magazine publisher I was working for did all these hobby magazines, you know, for like. Uh, motorhomes and sea fishing and model railways birds you know all this and i was like you know tabletop gaming such a massive industry why is there no magazine about this apart from say white dwarf so yeah i ended up doing that actually for a bit and that's how i ended up meeting ronnie properly and and then yeah the rest is history when i ended up at mantic 
So from a gamer perspective, would you say you're more into skirmish or mass combat? I think my heart always mass combat. I think that was that was where I started with Warhammer Fantasy. You know, I like the spectacle of the two armies lined up either side. And I think there's nothing quite like that. You know, if you look at that, you just don't get that kind of epic sort of scale of, of the game. And also, I like that moment because at that point I could still win. Because, uh, you know, I haven't started moving anything around a bit and making bad decisions. I like to think, hey, here we go. I go into every game hopeful. Yeah, I think, um, I think my heart says, yeah, definitely mass battle. But I think skirmish, I tend to play a bit more. Uh, and then favourite probably was actually Dreadball. I love Dreadball. I think it's so good. I think it's such a great game. Obviously, former UK champion as well. Yeah, I think... Um, Dead and then Dead Zone, obviously, really love Dead Zone. So I think actually, I think I'm probably a mix of both. I think, but yeah, definitely, I, I do, I do like kind of getting the big army out when you see it all coming together, particularly when using big horde armies like goblins, and you're like, wow, because you're painting, you know, 120 miniatures and they're all just sitting there because I paint them all individually like a chump. You know, it takes me a long time, and then when you finally bring them all together and lay them all out on the table, it just looks so good. And I, I, there's not there's nothing else that can compare to that, I don't think. It's interesting because you're one of the few restrained goblin players. Your armies don't typically have the filth. Why is that? Yeah, I think for me, it's always just because I, I, I never really, I'm awful at list building because I normally just choose what I like the look of. And I, I you know, and for me, a goblin army is loads and loads of goblins. You know, that's, that's the idea. I mean, yeah, look, I mean, by the end of it, when I was playing goblins more, I did have the old, the three wing it's and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I just, I think for me, that's this full of character and I like my armies, I guess, to tell a story. You know, I know everyone goes on about these fluffy armies, but I do like them to be a coherent sort of mass and they fit a story. So, you know, if it's hordes and hordes of goblins, then that's what I want to see on the tabletop. Whether or not it's tactically sound is uh, by the by, because <laughs> obviously it's not often. Do you enjoy the gaming side of it more or do you think you enjoy more of the creative outlet that it provides? That's a good question, actually. I think, I mean, it's that old, what's that quote? 10% playing your army, 80% painting your army, 10% playing or something like that. And I think I definitely paint more than I play, uh, mainly because I choose stupid horde armies, which take me a long time to paint. I like that creative element. I do, because I do like the painting. When it comes to playing, I mean, I'll be the first to say that I am tactically fairly inept when it comes to uh, playing Kings of War, but I enjoy it. You know, I... I, had, I won the wooden spoon at Northern Kings last year. And uh, I mean, I, I fought hard for that because, you know, there was a few times when I could have almost won, but then I did some spectacularly bad decisions to really kind of clench it in my fist by the end of the day. But yeah, I, I love playing. For me, it's a great social thing, really. I'm not, I'm never there to, for Kings of War anyway, I'm never really there to challenge the top. But I think for, for Dreadball, I think tactically, I could, I could do that a lot better because... You know, I knew that every, literally my aim was to get the ball and score every single rush. You know, that was my aim. And I could do that a lot better because often the, the opponent wouldn't interfere with me. It was all about my tactics. And it was like a puzzle there. So you like go, OK, well, I need to get this guy from here up to there to score. How do I do it? And this is you've got five actions. So I think my brain works a lot better for, for Dreadball than it does for Kings of War. There's too many options. You could argue that with Kings of War that you're never going to get better if you keep playing Ronnie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll certainly never learn the rules. Yeah, I've uh, I play a lot with I still play a lot with Martin uh, Thurwell from Mantic. We meet up 
uh, a club that's near his house, and we've been playing a few times. But yeah, I think um, I certainly learned. I mean, Northern Kings last year, I had the absolute worst start because I got drawn against Tom Robinson. Which is like, oh, welcome, welcome. I thought it'd be a nice, easy, you know, ease me in gently. Well, it's it's painless. Yeah, I mean, it was fun, and I certainly, and I'd love to say I learned something, but I don't think I did. <laughs> I just learned. I got curb stomped. But yeah, I think um, that set the standard for my weekend. Sometimes starting with a big loss is the way to do it, because then you're just sort of coasting the way back up. Yeah, or or just slowly just drifting downwards. We all fall to where we're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the pressure's certainly off when you're at the bottom of the table, <laughs> so you can enjoy it and have a few drinks. So I think that's 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 where I like to be. Whereas, uh, particularly the dreadball tournaments I used to play in, because I d- I found those a lot more stressful because I did want to win. You know, I did want to kind of, you know, place in the top three. So it kind of changes the experience quite a bit. So where did the bug for writing come from? I think I've always, always really enjoyed writing. I think um, back when a a lot, you know, when I can remember sort of writing little stories when I was really little, actually, sort of when um, first got one, the first, we got first got a computer at home and I'd sit and I'd type on that and I'd, you know, I'd, I'd basically do rip-offs of other stories. So, like, I really like Jurassic Park. So I had a rip-off of Jurassic Park, which was uh, it. It was a zoo. It wasn't of dinosaurs. So it's not quite as terrifying when, you know, you've just got a few monkeys kind of escaping from uh, rather than a velociraptor. You're getting eaten by a velociraptor or being uh, having poop thrown at you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're both pretty, pretty serious business. Yeah, so I think... Um, so, so I always used to write stories like that. And then um, I kind of knew... I wanted to do something writing wise, I guess, for a job. So I was a I was a journalist for quite a while, doing magazines and and you know, I was a crime reporter for a bit, doing actual serious kind of writing. Um but I still kind of kept the creative writing up a bit on the side, doing little bits and bobs. And then it was really um when I started at Mantic, there was the opportunity speaking to Matt, I said, Oh, you know, I really like writing and he said, Okay, well, I think it was edge of the abyss you know the, that summer campaign was coming up and we said okay well we'll need some stories for this so i said okay well i'm happy to have a go i can write some of these stories introduce some of these characters uh and i really enjoyed that and i thought that was great and that was you know for me it was great to kind of i think going back to sort of when you're talking about the big games you know when you think about warmer fantasy you often think about these characters like Scarsnick and all those kind of people who help I think they're a great uh, gateway into the game because you fall in love with that character and then you're like, okay, well, I, I really like this character. I want to learn more about the army. So I think that was the idea with um, Edge of the Abyss was to kind of create these characters and hopefully help uh, that as a way into the army. So you'd be like, oh, I'm interested in this character. I'm going to start collecting this army. So yeah, it kind of went from there really. And then uh, and I got the opportunity to do more and more bits of fluff for Matt uh, which I really enjoyed. And that was one of my favorite parts of the job, actually, when I was at Mantic, was writing that, doing that creative side of things. Was it something that your parents supported when you were growing up? Hey, you should write more. You should. No. Well, yeah, I mean, they didn't really, I don't, I don't think they really minded. I mean, as long as I wasn't in trouble, I don't think they cared. I mean, I was very quiet because I was up in my room, just tip tapping away on my Amiga or something like that. But um, my my auntie was, at, is, was a, well, he is a children's author. So she writes things. And so I always saw that she could do it. You know, she was able to be a writer and, and do that. But I guess I never really thought, you know, I always wanted to do it, but I never really thought it would be a proper, I'd be able to do it as a as a job or anything like that. So, uh, but yeah, I guess actually, yeah, writing has always been a part of, of my job, really. What are some of your favorite books? 
Oh, jeez. It sounds really rubbish, but I'm going to... Right, one of my favourite books is, is Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's not a great book. It's, well, it's really trashy, but um, I read it probably every... every. Well, I used to read it every year. At one point, I used to have like an anniversary of um, when I'd read Jurassic Park. But And I think um, for me, I, I, went to, I went to university and I did English, and they're studying a lot of worthy books. You know, you're doing kind of the classics. You're doing the Frankensteins and the David Copperfields and all things like that. And uh, and then when I finished university, I was still trying to read all these worthy books, and I'd kind of think, and you just think, God, I'm really slogging through, you know, War and Peace and all that kind of stuff. And then I sort of had um, it was a bit of a um, kind of like a moment where my my granddad was really into sort of like um, pulp uh, detective stories, so he um, he got me onto um, oh, the Big Sleep, uh, Raymond Chandler. Is a big sleep, Raymond Chandler, and all, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, wow, these are great. You know, these are just really good. And then I kind of went on to Robert B. Parker and some, and then even like things like Lee Childs, it obviously is, you know, really trashy. But yeah, I kind of now, because I don't have a lot of time to read, I'm kind of more onto the kind of schlock stuff rather than all the worthy stuff. Cause I don't have, I don't have a lot. I mean, I'm reading some books at the minute, which is uh, someone's like reimagined Sherlock Holmes where he's working with like Jekyll and Hyde and all that kind of stuff. And I think, Oh yeah, it's quite actually quite fun. I'm just enjoying it really. I'm not taking it too serious. Those kind of books are awesome though. Any of those books that kind of reinvent like alternate history or they just take what you think, you know, and you know, comic books, the graphic novels, like League yeah. of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know, just any of that kind of stuff that just takes what you think, you know, and puts it on its head. Yeah, this is quite, I mean, these are quite good actually. So it's, yeah, it's like uh Sherlock Holmes, uh, Watson gets turned into a vampire within the first few chapters, and then, uh, and then he's kind of meeting Dracula and um, all that kind of stuff. And, and they are trashy, and I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, this is this this is really trashy, but at the same time, I'm really enjoying it. So it's a bit like a bit like the equivalent of watching B movies, I guess. In terms of genres, is there a genre of book that you prefer? I think um, probably probably fantasy. You know, I I read a lot of The Hobbit. You know, all, all the Tolkien, all those. Um, Oh, Wheel of Time stuff. I read Dragonlance and stuff like that. No, um, and I'm no, I didn't read that one. And I think um, what was the oh, is it Robert Jarvis? The, the ones we saw that uh, Red Red Wall. Is it those ones? I think the the mice and that sort of stuff. That was great. I remember that. I mean, although it's obviously animals and stuff, it's still got fantasy elements going through it. So yeah, I'd probably say fantasy was my favorite. And then obviously I did read a lot of the. You know, like I say, in the Go Trek and Felix books, um, I, I really sort of love the setting of the of the old world. I mean, I, I've read some of the Age of Sigmar books. I just can't, often I just can't get my head around how crazy the worlds are, you know, that there's, uh, the, it's raining bones and that sort of stuff. And, I, and some of them I like. I mean, I've just read the Andy Clark's New Goblin one, the Loon King one, which is quite fun. Um but yeah, it's, I, I just sometimes I'm like these words, are, these worlds are just too weird. I just quite like to go back to kind of you know the old world, which I can imagine a lot better, you know, because it is basically medieval sort of Europe, and I can kind of get that. I like that idea, you know, medieval Europe with a bit of magic and monsters. It's Song of Ice and Fire with with more than just dragons. Yes, yeah, of course, yeah. I, I, I missed Game of Thrones off, yeah, but those and um, yeah, there's a few other ones, yeah, but yeah, generally fantasy. Awesome. Any desire in your life to ever write nonfiction? I've written, a, well, not really. Well, sort of. I've written some nonfiction stuff when I was a, 
when I was doing the reporting about about old toys actually about Batman and, and Jerry Aris, Jerry Anderson but I found those quite um, a bit boring if I'm honest and then obviously I'd, and I and I wrote uh, before I was at Mantic I wrote um, a set of rules I wrote a game called Kobolds and Cobblestones which was an actual kind of skirmish game uh, but they, even that I kind of realized I enjoyed writing the fluff more than I enjoyed writing the game so um, yeah, I think my I, I think I prefer to do the creative stuff. I think in some ways, in terms of creativity, is writing your singular outlet, or do you have other outlets for creativity, like sculpting or drawing? Or I mean, obviously you've got the hobby as well. Mm, no, just writing really. I I used to draw when I was little, do comics and things, but no, it's always mainly just yeah writing. I, I'd I'd always have ideas for books or films, and a lot of the time, I mean, I I had a I had a book that I was writing for ages, which was about like a robot detective, but it was, I'd always get to a certain point and just never finish. And I guess that's a problem, isn't it? You know, I'd always get to a certain point and then I'd just stop. So I think that was always quite good at, at, at Mantic was, you know, Matt, Matt needed the content. So I had to write it. So I had to get on with it and, and do it. So, um, yeah, I think that actually helped me actually to do it. And obviously, you know, the, the book for, for Brandon and Vince, I'd, I'd promised I'd do it. So I had to actually sit down and see, okay, well, what kind of do it? I imagine working for a magazine, though, you had due dates. It sort of professionalized that process for you in your head. Like, oh, I've got a deadline. I've got to get this done. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Yeah, I guess because doing the magazine, particularly because I was working on a monthly magazine. So I knew every month, you know, I had, it was a 48-page magazine that I was doing. And I knew, okay, I had to do it. So you do work out how much you can write, what you can do. But it's totally different, actually, when you, you come into creative writing the creative stuff because um you'll end up sometimes you might get you know you might get stuck on a bit or you know or sometimes you might write a bit more because you really kind of get in your flow whereas I think um on a magazine it's very much okay this is my word count I know the subject matter bosh 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 kind of here you go I, I, I guess you treat that a lot differently you know than than kind of actually creative writing you had a long background, as you alluded to, writing flavor text for various sources like the Edge of Abyss supplement. When did the novel idea come along? Was that something you had in your head? Like, oh, I want to write a novel. And obviously, Goblins is the obvious choice. Yeah, I think it was. Um, so it was after doing um, Edge of the Abyss. I really enjoyed creating some of those characters like Bannock, Colarm, and um, and obviously Grogger and Lethal, who then became Lethal Bleakheart. So all these characters, I, I sort of really enjoyed writing their stories and writing their backgrounds. Um, and then it was a few, I think it was a few years after that, when Brandon and, and Wing to Star sort of came around and they started looking for ideas for stories. And uh, often Brandon would get sent ideas and he would send them to me and Matt to have a look through and we'd read them. And I was reading a lot of them and, and occasionally there would be ones about goblins and I'd be like, oh, God, well... Oh, I'd quite like to write a book about goblins. So I kind of was thought thought about it. I was thinking about how I'd like to tell the story of Grogger. And also, I, I really like the idea of, of it being from the villain's point of view. Like we're saying with my love for Transformers with the Decepticons, you know, I was always sad when the Decepticons lost. So I always thought, oh, it'd be quite funny to 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 do something where the, where the bad guys win to some extent or, or do well. Um, and to... And to find out what drives them and what motivates them, because they're very different. You know, their their reasons for doing stuff are a lot different, particularly with the goblins, because it's all about self preservation and that sort of stuff. So it came from there, really. And I, I I pitched the idea to Brandon. Oh well, a long time ago now. Obviously, you know, pre before COVID, 
Um, wasn't sure if he'd go with it, but he said, yeah, sure, you know, this is, this sounds good. And then it kind of went from there. So, yeah, I, th- I think it was, I hadn't really kind of gone into it thinking, let's do a, do a book. But I just, I'd enjoyed writing those bits of fluff so much. And particularly for, for third, uh, third edition, I wrote a bit more, add, you know, fleshed out the goblin story a bit more rather than them just being an extent. I mean, they were sort of written as kind of just an extension of the orcs, I think, at one point. Like, oh, you know, they're kind of slaves to the orcs. So I wanted to give them a bit more character and uh, and do that and talk about how they worked. And the whizzes as well, in particular, you know, this idea that they're running around stealing things and, and, and casting spells that they don't really know how they work. So, uh, yeah, that it came from there, really, that I thought I'd really like to, to, to spin it off at, and to see if I could do it myself, if I'm honest. You know, could I really sit there and write a full story about stupid goblins, basically? I think a lot of people appreciate about Mantic, though, is that they don't take things and keep them the same. They're not beholden to what's come before, like in Warhammer or Token. I mean, their orcs aren't stupid. Yeah. Run around with Cockney accents. Their goblins are more lethal. Yeah, yeah. So the goblins are still... Uh, you know they still need to be a little bit humorous because you know the idea that you know they things will go wrong and that sort of stuff but yeah like you say it's taking um sort of established fantasy tropes and and kind of adding a little bit of a twist you know you saw that with the halflings you know that was a great example of a, a of a kind of traditional fantasy genre faction that got quite the twist you know with the fact that they sometimes occasionally will eat people given you have so much history with the background lore did that help or hinder you because, I mean, I can see it both ways. One way it could be there's all this baggage that you've got to come to the table with and you got to pay homage to it. it might, might feel constraining. Is it helpful that you just, well, I already have all this stuff in my head, so it makes it easier? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, th- I think um, I think I, I think I would have struggled if I'd chosen another, a, a different faction. I think instead I chose, the book is mainly centered around two factions that I really like, which is Salamanders and Goblins. So they were ones that I know knew the most about. Although even so, you know, I'd still check things from Matt and just say, oh, is this right? Or is, or is this okay? I mean, for the goblins, because I'd written the background, a lot of it, that was fine. Because I was, but I actually wanted to expand on that a bit more and do things like, well, what does a goblin, you know, what's their cave look like? You know, where do they live? You know, what's that like? So I was like, okay, well, this is a chance to expand on that. Uh, even what's it like? There's a little bit in there about what, what it's like for a young goblin growing up. So I thought this is a good chance to kind of look back and, and kind of flesh them out a little bit more. So actually, in that case, having the law kind of ingrained was 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 fine because I kind of knew it and it just sort of helped lay some foundations on which to build. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't think it sort of hindered really. And then also knowing the the law as well, I could I could put in some little hints and you know Darvled's mentioned in there and also little bits and that as well. So that does help to make sure it's set in a time as well that fits in with the with the timeline i think generally it probably helps one of the things you just said that kind of triggered me was it sounds like brandon takes the time to understand the various writers that he's working with mike rossi is a dwarf mm. you know and obviously you're a goblin so i mean I, I guess they must put the effort into really understanding the people they're working with and finding that right subject matter for them to develop i mean brandon brandon does a great job i mean you know he's a he's a one-man sort of army on it you know his own the amount of work he's doing is staggering and i can understand from an external point of view so some people might be frustrated with how long these say you know because you know i started talking about goblin king two maybe three years ago something like that and obviously now it's finally coming out 
But I think it's just the amount of work he puts in. And like you say, the amount of work he has to, because he has to learn the law as well. You know, when, when, when people are sending stuff in, he has to check and say, oh, well, is this right? Or, or even, you know, when I'm sending stuff in, he was like, oh, well, where would this be? Or, or why is this over here? And or I think, oh, he dropped his weapon in the last chapter. How come he's got it now? And, and all that sort of attention to detail is fantastic because, you know, particularly for me, I'm there typing going, oh, yeah, and then he did this, and then he had this fight. But, um, and his feedback was great as well uh, because obviously he, you know, he, he's done a lot of, you know, he's edited a lot now and, and sometimes he'd go, well, you know, this doesn't quite work. And, you know, I, I, I was a bit, when I first got the feedback, there was quite a few bits that needed rewriting. And it's, you're a bit of Dan Hearted because you're like, oh, no, that's a shame. But actually, his feedback was totally for the best and, and, it, and it helped it be a lot better. Yeah, I think Brandon is, he really takes a lot of effort into understanding not only the writer, but the subject matter as well to make sure it's it's kind of accurate. And then he's, he's checking all the time with Matt or, you know, when, or when I was there, he checked with me for stuff. And I think that just shows a real professionalism on his part, you know, real attention to detail, which is great. And I think that helps to, because you don't want these stories to be throwaways. You know, you want them to be set within the world and to help build the world. You know, that's, that's what will help. I think world building is a huge thing, you know, because if you read about it, I mean, I, it's obviously a long time now. It was uh, Christopher Verspeak's First Strike. I read that, literally finished the last page and went and bought a Veerman army straight away. So I was like, yeah, you know, this is what I want to do. And I think that's, you know, what Brandon does a really good job of is, is helping to bring these worlds to life. Well, it's interesting. You know, obviously you want to have inner continuity, like within yep. the book itself, but then you also want to be compatible or uh, supportive of the world, the bigger, the bigger effort. And it's sort of like Black Library, right? In that, in that yep. regard, that everybody needs to be working with the same overall art, you know, the overarching narrative needs to be a holistic approach. Yeah. And and, it, and it's particularly tough, I think, for, for Brandon is because... <sighs> You know, like say Warhammer 40,000 and even sort of, you know, Warhammer Fantasy back in the day, they were always set at one minute to midnight. Do you know what I mean? Well, until obviously it got blown up. But so really the timeline doesn't move along that much. It's always in the same sort of, it, it, it's this kind of bubble and this is where things happen. Whereas obviously the, the, the problem that Brandon's got with, with Kings of War in some ways is that Matt's keen on keeping the timeline moving which is great because it makes you introduce these new characters you introduce these new kind of subplots you know new like the northern alliance they come along and and that sort of stuff which is great but it's difficult for obviously brandon and and because you've got like mike rossi's book which is about the free dwarfs and all things like that well that sort of story has been rumbling along in the background and you don't want it to be sort of too late by the time the books come out so i think brandon brandon's got a really tough job on his hand to kind of you know as well as the world moving along independently of him, he's also got these stories kind of coming along as well. So it's tough. Talk about the collaboration with the other authors. So that's an interesting one, actually. We, there was, at one point, there was a, a, like a, a quite a small group. I think Mark Barber was in that one and, uh, and a couple of other people as well. And I think occasionally people would check, uh, you know, does this, do they, you know, do they speak like this or where that is? But actually, I think, Generally, for me, I, I think maybe it's because my book was sort of taking part on its own. It sort of did its own stuff. I didn't really have to worry too much about it affecting other books because also the events in it have already happened. So we know what happens to Grogger. We, we don't know why how he got there. So I guess that's the difference there. Whereas I know, for example, with Ben Stoddard and Mike Rossi, 
with their dwarf books is that they're keen to sort of tie them in together and, and have little nods to each other, which I think is great. And I think that's because they're sort of taking place, you know, more modern times as well. But um, yeah, so I didn't really, I must admit, collaborate much with, with the guys on, on theirs. Well, it would make sense if the books don't have, are not in the kind of the same timeline, right? No, no. I think from what I could see, you know, that because obviously we would get, again, when, we was at, when I was at Mantic, we would get feedback from them and, and they're all, they're often all talking about what's going on and, and kind of just checking that their view of, of something is, is accurate compared to what someone else thinks as well. So give us the elevator pitch for the story. Um, so Ascent of the Goblin King, formerly Rise of the Goblin King, um, is a story about um, Grogger, who is a goblin with delusions of grandeur, uh, thinks that he's sort of a, a cut above all the other goblins. And then that's sort of confirmed when he gets basically a vision which shows him as the Goblin King. And then this book is about his first tentative steps on him becoming the Goblin King. So what does he need for that? You know, well, he needs an army and all that, and he needs some he needs some allies. So this book is about those initial sort of tentative first steps on him becoming the Goblin King. Uh, and unfortunately, the kind of the troubles he encounters along the way on completing that quest. Sounds amazing. Anything get cut out of the book that you wish would have made it? No, actually, no. I think um, I, I'd sort of plotted it all down. I'd, I'd written it all out and stuff before and quite a long time. But actually, what was interesting is, is that, and this is going to sound really like I'm a, I, I, well, it's going to sound really naff, but basically I kind of really started to feel like I kind of got to know the character of Grogger. So stuff that I'd originally planned on him doing, he didn't do because actually as I was kind of writing, he, his character changed a bit and there's a, there's a couple of bits that happened in the book that I hadn't planned to happen. But as I was writing, I was thinking, oh, actually, this is quite cool. I think he would do this in this situation, or, or I think this might happen. So that was quite good, actually. So stuff actually changed as I was writing, because I was thinking this is more interesting, and it's going to be a bit more exciting. Yeah, that was good. But yeah, nothing nothing really got cut from what I'd, what I'd originally planned, actually. So yeah, it was pretty good. You got something else in store for us? You got another book in, up there that you're thinking about? Well, well, n- not sort of i don't know at the minute i've been busy doing the um i don't know if you've seen on the mantic website but there's been these short stories every month so um i've actually been writing those uh, so i did started off with a goblin and halfling one then i had a dead zone one there's been an armada one i think there's a dungeon adventures one coming up as well so that's been really fun because uh basically matt will say these are the new releases write a story based on these new releases so that's been quite been good actually because it means that I'm I'm sort of writing about different things. I'm trying to do different things. I think the big the, the big element that I I've kind of tried to do from those short stories is because three thousand words isn't a lot really, um, and I don't always want them to just be oh here's another battle. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that could be quite boring if it's uh, and then the trolls flanked on this side and that sort of stuff. So I've tried to do something a bit different with those. I really enjoyed the Dead Zone one. I think I've just written one, uh, which I can't say what it is, but I think that was probably my favourite yet. You know, and I think what you're saying there is going back to when you're saying about is the law restrictive or does it help? I think actually for some of it, because I do know a lot of the law, it's quite good to dip in. And I've and in this one, a, a character comes back from the past, and I've kind of brought them back, which is really fun actually to do that and to do that. And that's because I know oh well, this character's on there on the kind of background here so let's bring them back and have a little bit of fun so i've enjoyed that but um 
yeah, in terms of books, yeah, there the, the sort of was another idea. You know, there was a, a sort of a sequel kind of thought about, which would be Grogger, obviously, because you know that he, he loses at Galahir, so he gets defeated there. So it's about him kind of licking his wounds and thinking, well, what's next? You know, his army's been defeated. What could he do next? And I think, um, and the idea would be that he, he learns about Glimmer down to the Goblin City, which you don't really hear a lot about. And the idea was the second one was him going down to Glimmer and what what he finds there. But um, yeah, I think, um, I guess we'll see how this one does and then go from there. But Brandon, in all fairness, Brandon's so busy. <laughs> I don't know how he'd fit the time in to do it. In some ways, it's your baby, right? Like Gragor's your baby. And so it's like, you couldn't possibly let somebody else write it. So you got to do it, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, that'd be the thing. Yeah, I, I couldn't, I didn't think I could handle it. And a few of these characters, actually, I mean, I really liked um, Twitch, Keenier, Again, another bad character, the Ratkin. Um, I really like Twitch. I thought Twitch was great. And, and it's funny because Matt would always say, oh, you can always tell the characters that you enjoy writing. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's pretty obvious, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I did. I, and I'd like to, you know, if I was doing something, I'd probably try and weave in Twitch as well because it might be quite interesting to see. Because obviously in Ascent of the Goblin King, you have got the, the good guys with the salamanders. And it'd be quite easy. It'd be quite interesting if it was bad guys, you know, bad guys v bad guys you know who's who's even worse you know so that'd be quite fun but yeah i think um we'll see a missed opportunity for the uh starter box when you had reckon and uh goblins you could have wrote a whole thing for it right well yeah i mean that so yeah i mean i think because originally we had plans that this book would come out then so you'd have a big you know very similar to what games workshop do with all their black library ones so yeah the idea was is that yeah, you would have had a book come out then around the goblins, but it's just, you know, like I say, Brandon's so busy, it's tough to get these out on time. And obviously you've had ones like Pius, which I thought was fantastic, come out as well. And obviously Clint's Rise of the Celestians. So you've had some big kind of name ones on the on the ticket. I think, yeah, get those, get those done first and then uh, we'll do the crazy goblin books when we've got a chance. Let's talk about when this book is coming out. Because it's, you know, as you said, it's sometimes hard to nail down a date, but do we have a release date? So yeah, the the release date, as far as I can tell, is June, because you can pre-order it now on Amazon. It's still under the old name of Rise of the Goblin King, not Ascent of the Goblin King. And I just checked before I came on, and it's due for release on Amazon on the twenty seventh of June. So right around the corner. Yeah, yeah. So not not far at all actually. And so you can pre-order it now. Uh, and obviously, Brandon always says that you know leaving reviews on Amazon is always the way to go because that algorithms come into play and all things like that so uh yeah if uh obviously you can either order it from there or direct from wing to sar as well that was one of the criticisms when mantic and king's war was in its infancy they didn't have enough background mm. and this is one more piece these these novels are one more piece to build that world yeah i, I totally agree because if you're not if you're not playing or you're not painting you're still thinking about the world and you're still interested in it so i think the books are a great opportunity to that where you know you can sort of live and breathe kings of war you know 24 7 if you want by kind of engaging in different ways and i think yeah i definitely think the books are away and you know i'd i'd love more you know if brandon had the chance you know i'd be consuming these books all the time and particularly more sci-fi stuff as well i'd love it if there was more i really really enjoyed first strike i thought it was fantastic uh, i know well i think from listening to brandon talk another podcast christopher is working on more uh, for that but um yeah, I think the sci-fi world is so rich and it's and it isn't just grim dark. It's it's really interesting. So um I'd love 
more opportunities to kind of look into that world as well. That'd be great. You're reading my mind. I was going to ask you, when are we going to get a novel for you from you for the Warpath universe? Actually, interestingly, originally before the Goblin one, I'd, I'd started to write a Dreadball book because, you know, like we were saying, you know, I love Dreadball. Um, and then kind of switched to switch gears to, to Kings of War. But yeah, I'd, I kind of, I did pitch a couple of sci-fi books to, uh, to Brandon. I think uh, I mentioned before, there was one about a kind of, uh, a steel warrior, a, a former steel warrior, and we're kind of going back to my love of private detective novels. It was going to be uh, he'd got injured in the course of battle and had kind of retired to this mining planet where he was kind of a private detective, sort of solving crimes and that sort of stuff. So I think I'd like to do that rather than rather than just like I say the standard kind of here's another big battle or something like that. Something because the world is so rich the gcps there's so many stories in there and i think you can tell a lot of different ones rather than kind of um you know here's here's a big scrap on a planet you know i think there's lots of stuff to do there so yeah I'd, again it's time you know i've got all these ideas whizzing around my head uh and it's just time of actually sitting down and i think that what really helped me to do the to do the goblin goblin king book was was lockdown so really, I need another global outbreak, really, to really help me. <laughs> Be <laughs> careful sit. what you wish for. Be careful yeah. what you so, wish so for. You yeah. heard it here first. If this, if it happens, it was me. It's but, all your um, fault. Yeah, it was um, because, I, it, I, you know, we didn't have the kids' activities. You know, I wasn't doing football or tennis or swimming or all that stuff. I could actually sit and, and write. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know. I'd, yeah, possibly, if I ever get the chance, I would like to. Now, now, now I've sort of proved I can do it to myself and it wasn't because in all fairness, because I'd never done it before and it, I was worried it was complete. It could be complete nonsense. So I did send it to a couple of people. Still, Steve Hildrew read a copy of it when it was before it was finished. Uh, and he came back and said he enjoyed it. And I thought, well, OK, well, these are gaming adjacent novels. Yeah. So it's not like you're writing something to win no. a Pulitzer, right? You're you're writing something for entertainment value. Yeah. Sometimes it's funny when you get these people that are like really like critique. Well, this book has shallow characters. And I'm like, I get that. But it, entertainment is the first rule here. Totally. And I, I agree. You know, I, I hope that, you know, people read this book and there are a few hopefully sort of i think the tone is very different to all the other books that have been out before you know we've had some quite serious you know steps of deliverance drowned secrets all quite serious kings of war books and i i really want to do something a bit different because because they are goblins they aren't super serious you know they are kind of kind of flawed in their own way so i hope that people read this book and there are i mean it sounds really kind of egotistical of me but you know when i was reading it back through to check it there were a few bits where I was like, ha that, that is quite funny. I was laughing to myself as I was reading it through. So I, that's for me. So I hope people enjoy it. And it's an entertaining book. It's yeah, it's not, it's not the next Lord of the Rings, but it is kind of a fun book and it is hopefully bring the world, brings the world to life in a, in a slightly different way. It's just another way to connect to the world of Panathor. Yeah. yeah. We can't always be playing games. Nope. You know, we're not always painting models or building armies and sometimes you know this is just one more outlet for us to connect with that world and like i said it doesn't have to be lord of the rings no 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 it just has to connect me to the you know it's got to be grounded in that world yeah so that i can feel like i'm part of it yeah yeah and it's like you know i really maguire is in this book and i really wanted to do justice to maguire because he, he i always felt he'd done a bit been done a bit dirty in the in the background because he, he never really got a lot of love but he was just a oh here's a guy with a prod and a big more beast so i kind of wanted to flesh out his character a bit more and i had a lot i had a lot of fun with him he's completely unhinged in the book so um yeah that was quite nice 
to actually have a character that is a named character has been around for a long time and also to explain well why has he been why has he been in the fluff since first edition so it kind of goes on to explain why he's still around and and what what that means for him as well I think there's a lot of people out there that can't wait to get their hands on it. And like you said, it's hard with, with a one man show that is Brandon. Yeah. It is hard to get these books out, but patience is a virtue, right? And people just wait and they'll all come out at some point. Yeah. Have you been following Mantic games at all or are, are they completely off your radar now? No, no, no. I'm, st- I'm still following. No, I still follow. I mean, I still, you're not going to be able to, I mean, like I said, I did, I did, have a, I had a rest for a few months and I did nothing, did nothing at all. But then uh, what drew what drew me back in initially was the hard plastic ogres. I'd always wanted to do an ogre army, and I, I painted some terrible ones before. They were bright green. I don't know what I was thinking. It was mad. Says the goblin player. Well, I know, but they, I, I think it's, it's yeah. <laughs> I mean, they are basically big goblins. Yeah, so I, I, I got some of those early in the year, and that sort of, that was quite good, actually, because then I was painting it because it was something I wanted to do. I wasn't painting it for a blog or something like that. So then found, then I signed up for the Northern Kings tournament, so I'm off to that uh, next month. And then uh, when all the stuff was going on about Clash of Kings, I just thought, well, I can't really resist. You know, this sounds like such a great event. I think letting the community organize it is such a genius idea because it was always difficult. You know, it was everyone's busy at Mantic and organizing a tournament is is a big is a big job. So I think actually sort of contracting, you know, freelancing that out almost is going to be good. So I'm, I'm looking forward to actually going and, and playing in classic kings rather than kind of commentating on it or running around in the background trying to organize things so that would be great one thing mantic does very well than a lot of than compared to a lot of other people is they understand their core competency they make toy soldiers and great yeah. rules running a, an event you know there's plenty of people that can handle that and let them do it yeah and I, and i think that was that was one of the things you know it's like you say you know play to play to your strengths and as much i think the thing was we all enjoyed going to Clash of Kings. You know, I enjoyed commentating on it, particularly when Kyle was there because Kyle actually knew the game and could offer constructive sort of feedback on what was going on where I was like the, I mean, it wasn't too hard to play the dumb sidekick because sometimes I would be going, why is he doing that? You know, this looks this this looks completely insane. So that was great. And I really enjoyed that. And it's such a great community event as well. And I think it's it, it highlights the best of the hobby because you get everyone there, you know, when, whenever we were judging, there was no real sort of big disagreements or anything like that. Whereas, obviously, you can hear sometimes from other tournaments, you know, it's not always the same for other game systems. But um, it's always very friendly. So, yeah, I think that's going to be great. So, um, yes, I'm just, I, if I'm honest, I don't, I was going to take Ogres to that. I don't think I'm going to get them finished. So, I might, uh, I'll see how I get on with the Salamanders at Northern Kings and, and maybe take those. So, what's something that Mantic put out since you've been gone? That you're just going, God, I wish I was still there to help with this product. Obviously, the, the the ogres were really good. I think that was that was after I'd gone. I thought the ogres were really really nice. I thought that is a real game changer in terms of the hard plastic. I think what what you often saw is you'd you'd see these incredible renders. Luigi does an amazing job of sculpting these things digitally. And then occasionally you sort of get the finished product and you'd be like, oh, that's a shame. You know, they, they haven't, it hasn't quite hit the mark. Whereas I think those ogres, you know, I saw the concepts when I was still there, I think. And they look really great when we saw them coming through. And actually to see that coming through from the production line, from the finish line as well, was great. And I think that was a really good chance to put a kind of, draw a line in the sand and say, look, this is the quality we can kind of achieve now. And this is what we'll be getting going forward so obviously the you know recently we've had the night stalkers that have been shown off and i think that would be great 
you know, to show that not only have Mantic got the good rules, they've also got the quality now as well to back it up. So I think that'd be great. Their models have come a long way in the last 10 plus years. Yeah. The new EOD and the, and the ogres that are coming out of Poland now yep. are just, the, they're, they're as good as anything else on the market and they're reasonably priced. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, uh, yeah, it was just nice to sit and paint the ogres. It's nice. You know, you don't have to think about it too much. You're not thinking, is that a bootstrap? Is that a skull? What is that on there? You know, the detail has come out really crisp. So yeah, I think that would have been, that would have been one that I would have enjoyed doing there. Cause I, obviously I would have got the models a bit earlier. I would have started painting them a bit earlier. So I might've had a bit of a head start on my army. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say probably that probably the ogres. So what's crazy Bobby doing now that he's retired? Crazy Bobby's hit hard times. His crazy box business has obviously been, you know, he's had to sell that back to Mantic now. So they're doing that. Going back to car salesman, basically. He's going back to his uh, day job as a car salesman in uh, Atlanta. Well, before we get out of here, I'm going to hit you with 10 questions, rapid fire. Oh God. Okay. Christ. So whatever pops in your head, yeah, just throw me the answer. This could be revealing. There's some interesting questions here. Okay. But let's start with an easy one. What's your favorite army? Goblins. What's your least favorite scenario? Uh, oh Christ. Um, f- uh, oh geez. What's the, um, raised ground. Is it that one? What's the one? I don't think it was. No, it's not raised ground. It shows how often I play now, doesn't it? Any, any that I, I tell you what, kill. There we go. That's my least favorite. What drives you creatively or competitively? Oh God, creatively. When your opponent rolls snake eyes, I will offer my sincerest condolences with a smile. <laughs> when you roll snake eyes, oh, I shout! I swear. What is your favorite hobby material? Um. Oh, what like um, hobby material? Liquid green stuff. What is your biggest gaming pet peeve? Biggest gaming pet peeve. These are meant to be rapid fire, aren't they? I'm thinking about them too long. Um, I think it is. Oh, I don't think I've got one. Do you know what I mean? I don't think, I think I'm fairly. But I, I, one thing that always used to know me is that when I worked at Mantic, people would always think that I, A was good or B knew all the rules. And neither of those things are true. So that would always annoy me. Sometimes I'd go to tournaments. They'd be like, well, you should know this. You work at Mantic. And they're like, well, no, I don't. So yeah, I think that was. And you're like, well, I didn't write the rules. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I've. I wrote this bit of fluff, but I didn't write the rules. So yeah, I think that was the one thing. If you had to replace miniature wargaming with another hobby, what would it be? Uh, table tennis. What other miniature war game would you not want to play? Oh, 40K. If Crazy Bobby mm. had a romantic evening with Ronnie Renton, what would he whisper sweetly to him? He would whisper, let's get crazy. That sounds sinister. That sounds more sinister than I thought. But yeah, that's the- Well, we appreciate you coming on and chatting about the book. I, I think anything that gives more flavor to goblins, goblins are a very popular army. Oh, it's because they're the best army. I, I think I've purchased every luggage that, that my store has had. I mean, I just, yeah, yeah. they're just cool. Hard plastic luggage would just be chef's kiss if they ever do those. I know people complain about the cost of resin, but yeah, hard plastic luggage would be pretty amazing. I'm yeah. excited about this year with all the hard plastics for Night Stalkers, Northern Alliance. Let me ask you this. What do you think of the new Twilight Kin coming out? Yeah, I mean, I I really like the direction that, that Matt, you know, Matt was always really, really keen on taking them somewhere different so they weren't just naughty elves. Do you know what I mean? So I think the link with the Night Stalkers is great. I think that that takes them in a totally different direction. And I, yeah, I think that'll be, that'll be really interesting to see. I mean, obviously I've seen a bit from Dungeon Saga Origins about what the what the models are looking like and i think they're really cool and i think that like we were talking earlier on about taking 
kind of typical fantasy tropes and doing new stuff with them. And I think the Twilight Kings a great example of that, of them taking something that people think they know what they are and then actually changing them and, and doing something different. So yeah, um, they're probably too evil for me. I don't think I'd, I'd ever play. Uh, I don't like the I don't like the really gruesome stuff. So I don't think I'd ever play them. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what what happens with those and what they do. Well, maybe they'll have to get you back to write some fluff. I mean, you've written lots of characters that are Twilight Kin, Night Stalker adjacent. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they need to get you back. And because you know what, I, I always wonder. You know, I, I'm like goody two shoes. I'm always playing like the good armies. Mm. But every once in a while, you know, maybe this is your opportunity to just dive into that. It's good to be bad. I I may have dipped my toe into a little bit of night stalker stuff recently so maybe keep an eye out for that coming soon yeah i i I, like i say i've always preferred i find it that and even like when i do write good guys that you know there was that armada story with the uh, the basilean kind of commodore and he was just like a pompous tit so um yeah i always make the good guys bad and the bad guys good well i appreciate you coming on it's a pleasure it's been a while since i've been been on but it's uh it's been nice it's been good to speak to you rob well that's gonna do us tonight and until next time keep countercharging thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on countercharge please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on twitter at countercharge15 or by commenting on the countercharge kings of war podcast facebook group If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 